0: Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York.
1: This is the GM Shuffle. Hall of Fame players make plays at clutch times. Hall of Fame players just don't pass for yards. I know he's got 35,000 career yards passing. He's wonderful to watch but he's got to win games and make plays. You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by
0: DraftKings and V-CIN. is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and v I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever. You get your podcast. Our producer Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos. The geeter on the everybody heater, knows what the
1: Everybody knows know, now
0: what the ones and twos are. Nobody knew nah. it. You, it was your se- private joke. Of, you se- secrets out of the it's it's out of the bag now, man. I don't know. If, I don't even know if I want to continue it now that everybody knows. Uh, did you Google <laughs> Jerry Blavitt, the geeter with the heater, I the did. boss of the big? T- did you, you did I didn't did. you? I did. He actually has the same birthday as me, which is what. Which is well, what I Well, there you found go. Out. You and the geeter. Me and the Gator, July 3rd. Shout out to it. <laughs> but
1: uh, uh, You're a July 3rd birthday? Uh, Al yeah. Davis was the 4th of July. That was the holiday. That's 5th. why all the fireworks went off. That's what he used to tell there me. We well, these fireworks are for me. They're <laughs> not for the country.
0: <laughs> the, the, the late, great Al Davis. Uh, one day apart from me. So that's good. Also, Tom yeah. Cruise, I believe, July 3rd. So uh, uh, George Steinbrenner. A lot of oh, Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner well. was on the 4th oh. of July. Yeah. Well, they, well, maybe I need to get myself a team. That's that's what we're we're figuring out here on this podcast. But uh, in case you don't know, I sound a little bit different because uh, said it on the last podcast on the road here doing a uh, doing the yeoman's work out here in San Diego, Michael. Uh, somebody had to do it, so I figured I'd put my hand up and, and make the trip.
1: <laughs> You're entitled so. to a vacation, Femi. I mean, you know, this is a long season. We all get some time off. You know, we got to do it. You know, enjoy it. Enjoy that sunshine. I mean, you got to. If not now, when? As Parcells would say, when you look at the Pacific Ocean, it'd take a lot of that to kill
0: you. Well, you know what? Funny you mentioned sunshine because actually ever since we got here, it's been overcast and rainy. So it's actually given me a little Uh bit of a taste of back home in Seattle. So, you know, I mean, I guess Mm, I can't outrun this sort of weather. But yeah, not good. But we're still having a good time down here, though. Uh, Food's been great. Did Did a little miniature golf yesterday, working on the short game. So... Uh, we're, we're getting everything situated <laughs> down here in San Diego, but let's get into the to the football news, Michael, because that's why everybody wanted to listen to this podcast. And uh, our boy Aaron Rodgers, Michael, is out of his darkness retreat, according to the owner of the facility, Scott Berman. I don't know if there's any relation to Bill Berman out there. I'll have you double check on that. But Scott I'll Berman, check. I'll look. <laughs> yeah, you make sure you make sure you find that out. He's the owner of the Sky Cave Retreats. This is in Southern Oregon. Aaron Rodgers left the dark room and facility on Wednesday. So Rodgers is now uh, out of the darkness into the light, and maybe we'll be closer to a decision here. But the details on this darkness room, 300 square foot room that he was in, he had a clean bed, a bathroom, a meditation like Matt. I mean, he went all the way with this thing, although he was able to turn the lights from the inside. So I don't know if it was uh, 100% darkness, but hey, he's at least out of it now. Hmm.
1: Well, I mean, look, he just, you know, kind of sit down there and find your inner self. I mean, slow yourself down, kind of kit and connect and see and see if you can kind of come up with the creativity or the thought process to reemerge. Uh, you know, I'm sure it works for people. I, you know, I think it's awesome that, you know, you've got that, that you can do that to cre- get those creative juices going. Now is, does he want to make $50 billion or not? That's what it's going to come down to. You want to mm-hmm. keep playing or not? And I think... And talking to more people and more people, the feeling is the Packers have moved on. The Bob McGinn report is is accurate. They really feel like Jordan Love, as we said in the last podcast, they can win eight, nine, ten games with Jordan Love. So they're going to move on. So this is really going to come down to I want to keep playing. All right, how are we going to work this out? And there's a lot of things to work out. There's a lot of hurdles to jump. There's a lot of conversations that have to be had. I'm sure there'll be a lot of teams interested. Teams that we don't even think will be interested might be interested, you know. But I think Rodgers hey. has got to answer two fundamental questions. He's got to say, I'm will. I want to play for you, and I want to play two to three years for you. I think that's going to be it. Mm-hmm.
0: So you said that teams that we don't think might be interested could be interested. I'm not going to ask you to name names, unless you're comfortable naming names. We can break some news here on the podcast, but uh, th- that is interesting to me. So you, you think that maybe based on what you've heard, teams who have, quote-unquote, established quarterbacks might ask around and, and call the Packers to see what, uh, what it's going to take to bring, bring in Aaron Rodgers?
1: Look, I think everybody, if you're, if you're a general manager and you're, mm-hmm. you're doing your job, right and say you even have Russell Wilson and you're with Denver you got to call and find out what it cost you got to call and find out what it cost i mean if you're the rams you're going to find out what it cost if you're the i don't know if the cardinals would but if you're any team you got to find out what the cost is and what what it's going to be to move forward i mean i mean how else would you be loyal to your franchise if you didn't do that and through that there'll be some teams that may decide okay you know, now we know Guttekas wants to trade him to the AFC. So, yep. you know, I mean, that obviously Cleveland's not going to make that call. But the teams in the AFC that could, I mean, I don't think Kansas City or the Chargers would make that call. But there'll be other teams, Tennessee, you know, Indianapolis, obviously. What is it going to cost? And what would it be for me to, to get him? Let's say Houston calls and says, okay, he'll come play in Houston. I'm not saying he would. But I get him for two years. I can draft a quarterback. I can then develop that quarterback while he's here. Now I build the gap. I mean, if it's not as expensive, if it's in an Alex Smith price range, like, you know, what Andy
0: Reid paid the 49ers for Alex Smith, that makes sense. Right now, Aaron Rodgers is 39 years old, under contract for $59.465 million guaranteed if he plays this upcoming season here. So that's a lot of money he'd be leaving on the table if he decided to retire. But the compensation for Green Bay, is it going to be a number one or is it going to be maybe a couple day two picks because of the uncertainty about Rodgers' future beyond 2023? I think that's the question,
1: right? I mean, I think that's the yeah. fundamental question you got to ask yourself. I mean, it, what, is, what, is, what is, does it cost? What will this be? What, what, they're going to say we want two number ones to start off with, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the answer back to them is, look, how, how, why would we pay you two number ones if we think he's only going to play one year? You know, and he's telling, you know, the agent saying he's playing one year. And so really what's going to come down to is Rogers is going to say, these are the three teams I would play for. And then hopefully one two of the three teams are going to be interested. It could come down to just one of the teams interested. But you got to figure out what the price is. And I don't think that you can bluff your way to say, well, I got two number ones on the table. I got this. Yeah. I'm going to make this deal. You got
0: to call the bluff and say, go ahead and make it. And, and the leverage that Rogers has is that he can always threaten to retire because he doesn't have a no trade clause in his contract but I'm sure he's definitely gonna have to agree to whichever team uh, calls Well, Green but he's Bay gonna have to
1: restructure he's gonna have to restructure his contract so he's part of this transaction so there's the team mm-hmm. there's the other team and then there's the agent the, the three of them are part of the transaction
0: copy. No, that, that makes a lot of sense here. So there's moving pieces with this Aaron Rodgers deal. We all know, we already know that one team is inquired, according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler. The New York Jets have called about Aaron Rodgers. I think they're t- starting to get the preliminary discussions underway there. And we'll see if the, the Jets end up deciding to pull the trigger on some sort of a deal with Aaron Rodgers in a restructure. Because I think that's the place that a lot of people would connect him with. Maybe some of these outside places, like Tennessee, like maybe in Indianapolis or so, uh, could be a potential for Aaron Rodgers in 2023. So uh, now that he's out of the darkness retreat, we'll uh, we'll keep our eyes on our boy. Go make some progress. We got the combine. We got the combine next
1: week, which is different. It's a different combine than what we're used to because the workouts are at night. You know, there's not as much. Uh A lot of coaches, a lot of coaching staffs aren't going, so there won't be as much. There'll be a lot of misinformation coming out of it, like we typically always get, but there'll be really good information coming out of it based on sources. So as we move closer into next week with all the teams kind of having the convention in Indianapolis,
0: we'll get some clarity, I think, by next week. All well, right, we'll, we'll keep uh, keep our ears to the ground on that. How about Justin Fields? What's the latest that you're hearing about my boy?
1: So I, I was talking to a bunch of guys, and, not, and obviously not you, because you wouldn't trade him, <laughs> but I get the sense that that there is a that there's a there's a belief in the building that they need somebody to throw the football more effectively. I know you don't believe that. I know that's going to shock you. Uh I know that breaks your heart, but you know, Ryan Poles and a lot of people in that building feel like they need a better passer. And I feel like they're going to try to do the best that they can do to make a trade without shopping the player. And how do you do that, right? So when Poles is on the phone with these other teams, he's not really offering fields, but he's Mm -hmm. listening. He's not not offering, but he's listening. And as we get closer to the combine, and he gets closer to examining Bryce Young, and he gets closer to examining C.J. Stroud, and looks at them eye-to-eye, have meetings, feel like that, I think at the end of the day, I do think the Bears keep the pick, and I think they pick a quarterback. That's my gut read on February 23rd. Right now, I just get that sense from talking to people in the league. Do I think it's Bryce Young? That's the other sense I get. I feel like they feel they need somebody mm-hmm. who can throw the ball consistently. They like They want to get something back for Fields. They don't want to be embarrassed by the. If you start shopping Fields you may not get a good deal. Now, guy has yeah. value to me. He's got three years left on a, on a rookie contract. The fourth, the fifth year's a high price, but he's got two cheap years. And, you know, you could take him in, and, and some team could develop him as maybe the backup to what they want to do and utilize him to see if you can develop him. I mean, there's, there's a belief that maybe he turns the corner like Jalen Hurts in year three, like Jalen Hurts turned the corner.
0: So how do you get value out of this? Because I feel like teams are going to sit there and look at the Chicago Bears and say, "All right, well, go ahead and make the pick if you like Bryce Young, if you like C.J. Stroud, whichever you said it might be Young is the guy that they prefer. Uh, go ahead and pick him, and then you're going to have two quarterbacks on your roster. And and we'll be here they, they, if they you will, want to come and shop. They, like, how
1: do you? They'll make a deal. They'll make a deal before that pick. I mean, they'll make a deal. They'll they'll figure out. They'll they'll be enough teams to call them and say, "Hey, we'll give you X for Fields." And, okay, so, so, you know, so look, they have they have they have no skin in the in the field game. Right. They didn't draft field. Mm-hmm. I mean, Kevin Warren is the new president. Right. They got, mm-hmm. you know, Ryan Poles is the new GM. Iber is the new head coach. None of these guys were in the building when they pick fields. I mean, the guys that pick fields were Ryan Pace down in Atlanta. Maybe you call Atlanta. Up. I mean, Fields from Georgia. Yeah. Got Pace down there. He knows the kid. Arthur Smith could see a Mariota-type quarterback in this guy, bring him in, let him compete with Ryder, right? So it costs you a mm-hmm. second-round pick. Is that, to me, that's a pretty good deal for the Bears, and it's a good deal for the Falcons. You get a young quarterback to compete with your young quarterback at an economic value that runs an offense that would pit perfectly into the offense that you run, right? I mean, Atlanta could yeah. put him in there, and he could run what they run. Now, could you win a title with him? I don't, I don't know. I think that's the issue. Can he improve his passing? I don't know. Mariota hasn't improved his passing.
0: Can Ryder improve his passing? I think that's another question mark you got to look at. So then who's the person that makes that call? Is it Atlanta has to make the call first, right? Chicago can't make these calls because at that point, everybody knows that Chicago's looking to deal them. Right. I think what's going
1: to happen is because it's kind of out there quietly, I think teams Mm -hmm. will say, are you guys going to trade fields, you know, Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's going to be confidential, uh, you know, we would, you know, we might listen. I don't know. The answer polls would give is, you know, probably not. But if you want to make us a blockbuster offer, we'll certainly listen. Everybody on our teams. Look, this whole notion that, you know, like uh, you don't have there's no sacred cows on any team. I mean, what what there's eight or ten players in the league that that you wouldn't trade. I mean, if somebody called the, the Ravens up for Lamar Jackson and they offered them three number ones, three number twos, they're probably going to take that deal.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that's that's fascinating stuff here with, with a potential trade. Because I think a lot of people think that Chicago moves out of that number one overall pick and then would trade down. But based on what you're hearing, and it goes in line with the Lock and Fora report that we talked about in the last podcast, that – Multiple GMs and front office people think that Justin Fields is going to be traded, and that, that's what you've been hearing as well. So, uh, my man, I might, right. might agree for a new team. I, I would say this.
1: I would not rule out them trading down and still pick at a quarterback. See, I, I, don't, really? I wouldn't rule that out. I wouldn't rule that out. I could see them trading with somebody to that if they like Stroud and somebody wants young. I, I could see that, too. I mean, you know, look—you've got to consider every option. You can't be narrow-minded and focused, mm-hmm. because what happens is you're not improving your team.
0: You've got to be completely open-minded. So that—that that is really interesting. If they were to trade down and then also take a quarterback as well in this spot, I mean, well, so if you trade down, would Field still be on the roster at that point, or do you think that they would that have just traded? Oh, Field? I think they I I think they'll trade Fields
1: before – I think they'll trade Fields before the draft. Look, you're not going to trade Fields – the draft pick only has value on the day of the draft. You can't trade Fields mm-hmm. once the draft's over.
0: Yeah. No. That's – so pretty much you think that – you would be surprised – let me put it this way. You would be surprised if Fields is the quarterback week one of the Chicago Bears. I would be. Yeah, I would be – I would say it's 50-50. I would think that they
1: I, – okay. I, I think right now – it's way too early for any draft guru to say that's going to happen or me to say it's going to happen because, you know, everybody has grades on players right now. They haven't met all the players. They haven't looked at the players. The medicals aren't in. I mean, you mm-hmm. might fall in love with – you might say, okay, we'll take Anthony Richardson because we think we can, can fix him and make him a better passer. I'm making this up. But you haven't met the kid yet. You haven't really spent enough time with the kid. So I think that's something that you – there's not enough data
0: on the plate right now. Well, speaking of Anthony Richardson, I know we plan to talk about it later, but let's talk about it right now there, because I think that's a perfect segue. Because in the betting market, what we do, Michael, here at Vison, VEASAN- a lot of chatter yesterday about the odds movement for the first overall draft pick across a number of sports books at our sponsor DraftKings on February 16th. So just a week ago today, Richardson was 100 to one to be the first overall pick. Now he's 30 to one at other books. He's now plus 700 and has surpassed Will Levis in that market here. Is is the chatter about Richardson uh, more positive within the league than it is outside of the league? Oh, I, I
1: think Richardson's look, I, I thought this was a player that had a really chance to win a Heisman trophy. And you know, you love highlight tapes more than any human being on planet <laughs> Earth. So I could make you a highlight tape of Richardson and you would think uh-huh. the guy's incredible. Oh, I'm already you know? love my I mean <laughs> I, I know you are. I know you are. And I loved them too. Like I loved him too. Like I didn't understand why they were when Mullen was there, I didn't understand why they were playing the other kid. I went back mm-hmm. and watched his high school tape. I, that's how much I love this kid. I mean he's six feet four, he's two hundred I mean he's Cam Newton. Yep. He's Cam Newton size. And he's got speed. Now, the thing you gotta figure out is you gotta can we can we get him to throw the ball effectively? Is he gonna work hard? All those intangibles that make up the player. But I think the talent's real. I think the talent's real.
0: The production's not real. The talent's real. The production from Richardson last year, 17 touchdowns, 9 interceptions, 2,500 passing yards, 6-6 and in in, in the SEC there at Florida. So his production is very pedestrian, uh, and it's not what you'd want from somebody that you would think of as a number one overall pick. In fact, power five QBs to be selected in the first round without any first-team all-conference selection since 2011. I mean, look at the names here. Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, Ryan Tannehill, Daniel Jones. Like, that's not the class that you want to be in. But Richardson, as a talent, though, is just so otherworldly. If I was a general manager, and it's, I guess it's easy for me to say because I just got to speak into a microphone. I don't have to uh, answer these questions to the owner and all that stuff. But I think he's worth the risk because I feel like that kind of a quarterback is required to win Super Bowls and to beat the guy that we just saw number 15 in Kansas city. Like you need somebody that has that big time talent in order to do so.
1: Well, I think you got to figure out what the kid, who is the kid, right? I mean, so let's just say Anthony Richardson wasn't recruited out of high school. Let's just say he showed up at Wyoming and played three Mm -hmm. years at Wyoming. What would he have looked like?
0: I mean, 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 yeah, you'd hope it'd be. So
1: (laughs) yeah, you hope it would be like that. So they fixed. Josh Allen got fixed. I mean, here's a kid that didn't throw above sixty percent in any year of his career, in college football, which has a bunch of bubbles. So there's work to do. The question is, can you fix it? It's this is a little bit like in baseball, taking a high school kid, a pitcher in baseball that you know has great, great velocity on the ball. He's a great athlete. Can you get him to be able to nibble the plates? Can you improve that ability to work the corners? You know, And if you feel like you can, you get a legit prospect. If you don't, you fail. I mean, this isn't one of those E.J. Manuel where he's a good athlete with great size. No, this is a unique athlete with a lot of skill. So you're building something here. And E.J. Manuel went, what, the 15th pick in the draft one year by Buffalo. So this is a different kind of guy. But I do think, to me, there's a lot of work that needs to get done. And the more work that gets done on the kid – it'll certainly help him. But I will say this, Lamar Jackson's collegiate career compared to Anthony Richardson, it's not even close.
0: Yeah, it's not close.
1: But we're in such a desperate need for quarterbacks. I mean, Lamar had to sit in that room
0: till the 32nd pick of the draft. Yeah, and, and, he, and he won the freaking Heisman Trophy at Louisville. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, like, like Lamar, Lamar had uh, way better production here. So last question on Richardson. Do you think that this is smart money that's betting him to go number one overall, or is this dumb money based on what you've heard?
1: I don't think it's a St. Jude's pick. I don't. I think to me, Ooh, these kind of got. Okay. I, I don't think it's a St. Jude's one. I think this is, and I met the president of St. Jude's, and it was great. I loved him. I told him, I said, we'll do anything for St. Because we promote the hell out of St. Jude's on the show. Because <laughs> there do. are some dumb St. Jude's. They just better give the money to St. Jude's than that. But I think to me, I, I think in, by this time next week, we'll have a better understanding of where this guy is. Look, everybody that talks about him says, man, he's really talented. Yeah, right. You got to know about the kid. You got to know about the work ethic. You got to know all that stuff before you. It's easy to sit at home and say, yeah, but you got to figure out. Can he improve?
0: It puts a smile on my face that you say that's not a St. Jude's pick there. We, we, we might be live here with Richardson going number one overall. Don't want to get too far ahead of things. I, I we'll did see not what say that. I did not say yeah, that. No, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm when saying, you, when, when you're done chance, watching
1: your highlight there's there's tape, I'm sure you'll <laughs> love it.
0: <laughs> oh, I've already watched the tape, buddy. <laughs> I watched the tape. I'm in, I'm ready to go to war with this kid. Maybe rookie of the year, who knows. <laughs> We're getting way too far in advance here. But let's take our first break, Michael. We'll talk about the defensive coordinator interview that folks around the league are discussing here. This is the GM shuffle. Gambling problem, call one 800 gambler or in West Virginia. Visit www1800 gamblernet In New York, call 8778-Hope and Y or text Hope NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888 789 7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire. 168 hours after issuance DKNG.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources all right last podcast michael we talked about rex ryan yeah. potentially being a defensive coordinator for the denver broncos he had emerged as potentially a favorite but you're hearing differently from people that you've spoken with here about this defensive coordinator job in the Denver Broncos. Uh, what did you find out when you asked folks about well, Rich Ryan? I, th- I think what, what, what happens is, so you have to understand
1: this, right? And I was told this reliably that, you know, with the money being so great for coordinators, you know, people that have been retired for a long time, oh, wait a minute, you know, this guy's making X. I'm, I was a great coordinator. I should come back in the league and start making that kind of money. That's head coaching money. So I think there's a little bit of that. And I don't think Rex was really prepared to be a coach again until these salaries started to go way up. And so what I was told was that it wasn't, you know, it was, uh, you know, there's no way he's not going to get the job. I don't think he was, I don't think he's kept up in the coaching world to come back in and all of a sudden just have it. Like, I don't think this is just, I think it was money motivated, not the love of the game motivated. And because of that, I think he'll just go back to ESPN and keep doing that. I mean, he's got a great job there. He's a Jet coach. They love Jet coaches at Countdown. They love that. That's perfect. (laughs) So, you know, why not? You know, but I I think to me, you know, it it was one of those where it was more of a I'm interested because of the money, but yet when you present yourself, that doesn't work.
0: Matt Patricia's been talked about as a potential defensive coordinator for that job. I believe he's been interviewing for that position here. We've heard Chris Richard as well as as Vance Joseph, another name that we've talked about who actually used to be the head coach of the Denver Broncos. That would be an interesting dynamic if he came back as a DC here. Uh, when do you think Denver's going to make a decision? I mean, who's Sean's not competing with anybody, so he really
1: doesn't have to make a decision. he's got to get the right guy. I think you're going to see a lot of evolution in 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 Denver over the next seven, eight, excuse me, seven, eight months. I think you're going to see a lot of moving pieces. And I think Sean's going to take his time, measure it out, find out what he needs. You know, then after the draft, find out what he could do to supplement it. I mean, look, he's running the whole operation. And so – why wouldn't he take his time because he doesn't want to have to do it twice, you know, like if you don't have time to do it right the first time, how are you going to find time to do it right the second time? So I think he's going to take his time, and I think ultimately you know he'll want somebody on the defensive front that can cut that he can that will do what he wants because Sean is a little bit of a head coach I mean he's just not just a play caller he he's got some parcels in him to run that so I think he'll he'll do that and I think he'll get the guys in the building that he's worked with and feels most comfortable with. You think Patricia's a good fit for him? You know, I think Patricia one thing Patricia will do is he'll do what the head coach wants him to do. And Patricia's coached in a lot of different variations of defense. So, you know, he's got a, you know, he's had he's coached thirty four, he's coached four three, he's multiple defensive coach, you know. And I think the sticking point for Vance Joseph has to be, would you want to come back in the building as been a head coach once? Even though mm-hmm. it's a different building, you know, now you're still in the same building. You were the head coach. Now you're not. That, that's an ego. That's a little bit. you gotta, you got you to
0: gotta rectify that with your ego. Yeah, no, that'd be a hard situation for I think most people to go back to. And like you said, it's a different organization now than it was when Vance Joseph was there, new ownership, uh, new general manager. So it's not quite the same. But still, even just going there and seeing everything that, like, hey, that used to be my office, you know? Now I'm down the hall. (laughs) Like, what's like that? That's a little bit of a of a different dynamic. Uh, Let's keep it moving though with the quarterback news here because Derek Carr. We heard that he had his visit with the New York Jets apparently. The visit went really well, according to ESPN's Diana Rossini. In fact, it went so well that during the pitch, the Jets pitched a car that, quote, he could become a first ballot Hall of Famer if he came to New York. <laughs> your thoughts, Michael? I mean, <laughs> I, 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 your head. I don't know what to say to that.
1: I mean, I don't know what to say to that. Like, Do they know how, I mean, first of all, first ballot Hall of Famers win titles. They make playoffs. <laughs> they get to playoff games. I mean, Carr is one of those quarterbacks that, you know, if you went out and worked out Carr, you would just absolutely love Carr. But uh-huh. there's games that are there, to will be won that haven't been won. You know, and you can you you know, you you're you're good at making excuses. You yeah. can make excuses and say, "Well, you know, he didn't have a very good defense and yada yada." yada. I mean, the guy's played in 142 games. He's won 63 of them you know and no one's ever going to say well he's just so tough that he just just keeps playing when he's hurt no one's going to say he's just so tough that he makes things happen no they're not going to say that i mean he's had two really good offensive coaches and you know he's had john gruden and he's had josh mcdaniels and both of those guys you know gruden you know that they went 10 and 7 that one year gruden wasn't the coach they had a hard time getting him to make plays at clutch times. Hall of Fame players make plays at clutch times. Hall of Fame players just don't pass for yards. I know he's got 35,000 career yards passing. He's wonderful to watch. I know he's got 217 touchdown passes. He throws the ball really well. But at the end of the day, what plays does he make? I mean, he went to the Pro Bowl this year. last time he went to the Pro Bowl was in 17. Now, I mean, as a talent, he's very talented. There's no doubt but he's got to win games and make plays. And you say, well, it's a supporting cast. That's your line. It's a supporting. You know, when you know when Peyton Manning or some other quarterback wins without a supporting cast, nobody says a thing. Great players make the good players better. I don't even know how you could. I don't know. I think that's the problem with the Hall of Fame. That what the Jets said there is exactly the problem with the Hall of Fame. We don't really know what a Hall of Fame player looks like. We think we do, but we really don't. Because Deion's right. There should be levels to the Hall. Like for Deion Sanders to wear a Hall of Fame jacket and Tommy McDonald, the wide receiver, wear the same jacket, they're, not, they're different Hall of Famers. You want to put Tommy McDonald in, that's great. You know, that's wonderful. But, but, and I'm sure his family appreciates it and all that. But Dion, I mean, you know, like Andre Reid's in the Hall of Fame. Good player, really good player. Did you ever drive to the stadium and say, oh, my God, we're playing Andre Reed today? No. You drive to the stadium, you're playing Derek Carr, you're saying, let's make sure we get him on the ground early in the game. we got to hit him early. We'll get his eye level down, we've got to hit him early. That's what you say. You're not saying, oh, my God, we're playing a Hall of Fame player. It, to me, this verbiage coming out of New
0: York is is desperation verbiage. So you're saying that Derek Carr is not going to make FDR, football done right. I don't, I don't think we're going to see the Derek Carr chapter in there. Uh, also... In, in in defense to the Jets, my guess is this is obviously a little bit of hyperbole, would be, my, would be my guess, because it's a recruiting pitch and all that stuff. Like, I don't think they necessarily believe what they're saying. The fact that they said it, I think, is hilarious, because I'm in lockstep with you on Carr. Like, I don't think that he's anywhere close to being a Hall of Fame quarterback, obviously. I think that'd be a ridiculous conversation to even have. I even have questions about him just being a good quarterback in today's NFL um, on Derek Carr. But... Mm-hmm. I think this is a little recruiting pitch right like they they were going a little over the top here to, to sell him on come to the jets
1: right so you know like when you look at when you look at the uh and i'm gonna find it here uh when you look at okay when you look at uh, this is this is completely objective right this isn't mm-hmm. michael lombardi talking because his son coached Derek Carr. this is completely objective right because you know that's so, what they're gonna say prof- <laughs> well right i I get that and i yeah. I can handle that like i don't i don't yeah. need my son to tell me what to think all right i I'm, I'm mm-hmm. okay with that i i love him I love him to death, and you know, but i don't need him to tell me i'm going to make up my own mind he's going to make up his own mind we're going to be independent uh, that's the way I wanted him all right but let's just yeah. let's take an independent service so pro football f- uh reference okay mm-hmm. they have a section in pro football reference that basically it's called the Hall of Fame Monitor, that they have come up with a configuration of what a Hall of Fame quarterback looks like, okay? Average Hall of Fame quarterback, right? And so, you know, they typically win two championships. They make seven Pro Bowls. They play 13 years. You know, they have they throw 270 touchdown passes, yada, yada, yada. And then they rank them, and then it's like Bart Starr falls below the average. Terry Bradshaw falls below the average. Joe Namath well falls below the average, right? Eli Manning's below the average, right? L- Troy Aikman's well below the average. Jim Kelly's well below the average, and I'm not saying this is right, okay? And so they come up with a number for the coat for the player. So Tom Brady's number is two hundred and sixty-three point oh three. Peyton Manning's number is two fifty-seven eighty. Aaron Rodgers is one ninety-two forty-three. Johnny Unitas is 162.7. Montana's 154.17. Okay? Got that? hmm Yep. Derek Carr, in this rating system, in this system, Derek Carr's rating is 39.7. He's below Dante Colepurper, Ron Jaworski, Steve DeBerg. I mean, Jeff Garcia, Kirk Cousins, Michael Vick, Lamar Jackson, Mark Brunel. I mean, you want me to keep going on? Yeah. <laughs> Like, so when you make this statement, when you, like, this isn't me. This is some, this is numerical numbers. So when you're talking about a hall of famer, like, you know, the game is different when, when Namath went in, when Namath went in the hall of fame, you know, Namath threw, you know, a ton of interceptions because they played a bunch of man, you know, the interceptions were higher. It was seven step drop game, but you know, Cam Newton's at 70.5. Do you think Cam Newton's a hall of famer?
0: Oh, no. I, I, he's, he's a fringe guy. I think he's a ring of, ring of honor guy in Carolina, but doesn't quite make the Hall of Fame. Jim Kelly's at
1: 59-1. Troy Aikman was at 64. Cam Newton's at 70. I mean, Warren Moon was just slightly below, above him at 71. He made the Hall of Fame, never went to a Super Bowl, never went to, a, went to one conference championship game. So my point here is, like, at some point, you know, we, we have a really hard time in scouting and an evaluation of separating what's good to what's great. And the Hall of Fame has let a lot of good players in. Like, Zach Thomas is a wonderful player. Is he a Hall of Famer? I don't think so, okay? Like, I don't think so. Like, I never drove to the stadium saying, how the fuck are we going to block Zach Thomas? I, I mean, I'm happy he's in the Hall of Fame. But what that does to the Hall is it dilutes some of the other players who are elite at their position. How is Zach Thomas and Ray Lewis in the same hall? How is Zach Thomas and Dick Buckus in the same hall? How is Zach Thomas and Ray Nitschke in the same hall? How is Zach Thomas and Willie Lanier in the same hall? And this is what we get, but we get this. This is the rhetoric we get. It's like, I was doing a show yesterday, and, and a reporter we had on, he said there's at least 15 to 20 number one receivers in the league. He, he doesn't even know what a number one receiver looks like if he says that comment.
0: Yeah. And, and those, those are the people that vote on who gets into the Hall of Fame. That's the
1: people that vote. Exactly. That's the people that vote. I mean, you know, so you, you get a guy that's played really well that can't get himself in the Hall of Fame. You know, and so that's what happens and mm-hmm. and you have a bunch of guys that 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 are in the hall of fame that you're sitting there saying okay like you take antonio brown antonio brown's numbers and i only played 7 years so that that mm-hmm. dilutes them but antonio brown's numbers are hall of fame worthy if he would have played longer yep. If he would have played longer they're hall of fame worthy but he didn't so you can't but he's easy to dismiss because of his off the field behavior
0: yeah exactly yeah
1: well, like, Steve Smith yeah. got passed over. All right, Steve Smith Jr. got passed over in this round. Like, mm-hmm. Steve Smith gets passed over. I mean, the guy's got 81 career touchdowns and, and, and 100, you know, and so, like, he starts 198 games. He has a thousand ninety thousand thirty-one catches. 14,000 yards. Played 14 years in the league. He got passed over. Meanwhile, you got guys like Drew Pearson's in the Hall of Fame, you know, uh, Harold Carmichael got in the Hall of Fame. You know, you go down the list. I mean, there's Tommy McDonald's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, these guys are not – I mean, Tommy, who would you rather have? Would you rather have Steve Smith or that? Or would you rather have – would you rather have Shannon Sharp or Sterling
0: Sharp? Sterling, Sterling Sharp can't yeah. even get in. He can't get a sniff. Yeah, which is unfortunate because he doesn't have anybody – in the room pounding the table for him because that's how a lot of these guys end up making it to the Hall of Fame. You, you need your presenter touched, to pound the table.
1: 65 touchdowns catches in 595 receptions. Do the math on that. Do the math yeah. on that. How many times is he putting the ball in the end zone, and yet he can't get in there? Well, they say, well, he only played seven years. Okay, I get that. Yeah. What about Terrell Davis? Davis? What yeah. about Tony Basella? <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, he's got it's 65 to touchdowns. Right, Harold Carmichael played and how many games? Harold Carmichael has, you know, 78 touchdowns and 590 catches. Okay, I-, I like that ratio. I get that. He played 11 years in the league. I mean, Tyreek Hill's got 63 and 598 catches. We think Tyreek Hill is the most disruptive player in the league, and his numbers are not as good as what, as what, uh, as what Shannon Sharp's numbers are, Sterling Sharp's numbers are.
0: It's it's all distorted, and that's why I'm excited for your book to come out. It's all out. PR. Uh, so I, I'm, so I'm, when the, jet,
1: when the yeah. Jets add that fuel to the fire, they kill it.
0: Yeah, well, Derek Carr, maybe if he goes to the Jets, uh, he could be a great quarterback for them, but I have my doubts. I especially have my doubts in terms of him making the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Michael, let's take another break. On the other side, we'll talk about Carr's former employer, the Las Vegas Raiders, in their pursuit of their next quarterback. All right. Well, we don't think Derek Carr is going to be a Hall of Fame quarterback, Michael, but uh, he's no longer going to be the Las Vegas Raiders quarterback. That we know for certain. And Vegas Raiders general manager Dave Ziegler was asked about what they might do at quarterback on the Bussin' with the Boys podcast hosted by Taylor Lewan. Here's what Dave Ziegler had to say about their timeline in finding a new signal caller.
1: Myself and you know our group were in charge of um, filling the most important position on the team. And so, yeah, there's some, you know, there's, um, there's some, uh, there's some pressure that comes along with that. And, and however we fill it, it doesn't mean we're going to have an immediate answer, you know, this year, you know what I mean? And so, um, but at the end of the day, we have to have an answer, right? you know, in some form or fashion, you know? And so, yeah, there's pressure that comes along with it. And, and, um, again, that's also part of the excitement too, is that pressure is finding that guy.
0: Can you translate that for us, Michael?
1: Yeah, sure. But
0: The way I read that
1: is we could draft a guy, but he's going to sit. We're going to sign a veteran to get us through the next year, and we're going to keep searching to find the right guy. We're not going to just force it because we need a quarterback. We're not going to just force it. We're going to find the guy that fits what we're doing. We're going to scout inside out, and then when we get him here, we're not going to push him out there and destroy him. We're going to sign Jarrett Stidham back. Let him compete. Maybe sign a veteran guy. Let him compete. Draft a guy that we love and we can develop. I think it's no different than what Andy Reid did when he first went to Kansas City. Signed Alex Smith. Okay? Traded for Alex Smith. Got him in there. Won some games. Got Alex Smith dressed up. Built the rest of his team around Alex Smith. Oh, there's Patrick Mahomes. I'm going to go get him. I think that's what we're talking about. And and I think you got to, You know the, the thing is, all these Raider fans they want to fire the coach every two years. Well, the reason you, you're not winning and you can't get a quarterback is because you never have a plan that lasts longer than six games. You know, like you gotta have a, you gotta yeah. you gotta be able to lay a foundation. Either you want to do it the right way or you don't. I mean, so that's really what it's about. Like I think that's a really good answer he gave. He's like, look, we're going to keep finding a guy, but if I just take one, I mean, you know, just take a. Doug Wetley took the EJ Manuel. How'd that work for him? He got fired. Mm-hmm. You take one that can't play. I mean, Ryan Pace was able to take two of them, and, and both guys he took might not be able to play. I mean, Steve Kime took took uh, uh, you know they took Rosen and Josh, then he comes Josh back Rose. and takes Murray. I mean, you know, so like you got to take one that fits. You don't want to do it over again. Like that's the problem with with the with this, you have team needs and then you fill the need and you still have a need.
0: Yeah. That's a disaster. sometimes taking that guy that ultimately does not work out, especially if you continue to pour resources into that player there. So I guess based on hearing that quote and hearing how you translated what Dave Ziegler had to say, it sounds like Stidham probably coming back, Maybe a free agent signing of Jimmy Garoppolo. People can make that connection, knowing Josh McDaniels' scheme from their time back in New England. And then perhaps if the right quarterback is there at seven to take that guy, do you ever foresee the Raiders trading up to take a quarterback in this draft? Or do you think that they'll let somebody fall to them? And if that guy is who they like, they would take them and add him to to the room there? I mean, I think if the Raiders had a conviction about a player, they'll trade up to
1: get him. Is there someone in this draft that they'll have a conviction about? I don't know. I think it's too early, but I do think mm-hmm. they'll 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 try to. Now they got to fix their roster. I mean, Femi, you can't you can't have as many bad drafts as the Raiders have had with guys no longer on the team and still think you're going to be good enough, right? You just mm-hmm. can't. I mean, you know, I think they'll get Josh Jacobs. I think they'll franch I mean, I, I'm sure they'll franchise him. We'll talk about it in the next week, next block. But I think they'll they'll do that. They'll keep him on the team, you know, but they got to fix their defense. I mean, their defense, you know, the, other than Max Crosby, they got to get better defensive players. They have no linebackers that can run. You know, mm-hmm. the secondary is not very – I mean, th- this is not a good team defensively. Like, when you blow Abrams, Farrell, Ruggs, you start blowing all those picks, go
0: through it. What do you have? Yeah. That's Yeah, you can't do that. And those are all, all first-round picks. <laughs> like this, this roster should be so much better than it is right now.
1: It's And and people have this expectation. Like like the Raiders, like it's like Carr's a Hall of Famer. The Raiders are a pro- playoff team. The fact that the Raiders won as many games as they did is kind of like almost a miracle based on the talent level that they had. I know they got Devontae Adams, and he's great, and they've got to make sure that mm-hmm. they have a way to, to do that. And, you know, they've got a good, great running back, and they've got a tight end that they've got to get more out of, but they're going to have to improve their overall team to
0: compete at the level. You think somebody like Richardson, Anthony Richardson out of Florida for the Raiders, I know we talked about him earlier in the pod, but based on what you're saying, of they don't want to rush a guy out there if he's not ready, let him groom and and, and kind of just develop in the quarterback room, maybe have some veterans ahead of him. Would, would that be a good fit for the silver and black?
1: I think if he fe- if they felt like he could handle it, from all levels, the work habits, I think it's too early to tell. What kind of kid is it? Like, mm-hmm. that's the key is who is the kid? A lot of – if Richardson reaches the level of Jalen Hurts, it's going to be because he has Jalen Hurts-like character.
0: Don't dismiss Hurts' character and why he became so good. 100%. 100%. That's, and we talked about that after the Super Bowl and, and his development as a, as a passer <laughs> and just what he's done in Philadelphia there, it's – probably the best quarterback in the NFC right now if Rodgers ends up leaving the conference, uh, what he was able to do this past season. Michael, let's take our final break, and we will preview the franchise tag candidates on the other side as the GM shuffle. Okay, Michael, the franchise tag deadline set for March 7th, but the window is now open. So I this would be a good time to talk about some of the notable franchise tag candidates. And I'm a Cowboys fan, so let's start there. Yeah. My man, Tony Pollard, Michael, is he coming back on the tag, or are they going to let him test the open waters? No, I mean, it's too cheap. It's too cheap to not to bring him back. First of all, I think the mis-
1: there's a misconception out there that if you have a running back that's a weapon in the passing game that's just not a runner that can, do, that can change the game in the passing game, you've got to pay him. This whole notion you can't pay running backs is ridiculous. You can find a running back. You can't find explosive players like Pollard or Dalvin Cook or guys like that. I think the mistake they made was when they paid Zeke and didn't use him in the passing game. They got to pay Pollard. They're gonna have. they Pollard's part of their team, so I think they definitely would. Now I think when you do that, like if I, if I'm the Raiders and I franchise Jacobs, which I would, I'd get another running back, a young whether it's Zaire White. I don't know who, if they have him there but I would basically do what Sean Payton did in New Orleans with Camaro and Ingram and rotate them and keep them fresh and have them on the field at the same time. Take that Christian McCaffrey approach. Like Let's just say, you know, the, the Panthers wanted to sign Cordell Patterson. They wanted to sign uh, Hassan Riddick back, but they were waiting for the Deshaun Watson verdict to see what was going to happen. They had to save cap room for that. So, by doing that, they lost Patterson back to Atlanta, and they lost Riddick to Philadelphia. But just say Patterson was on the Panthers team with McCaffrey. Now that's, now you've got something going. Now you've got two guys who play two positions. You've got two guys who can really impact the passing game. You've got two really good runners, and they can play at the same time. And that's what you want to try to get to. The key to being successful in football is to substitute without substituting. Mm-hmm. Substitute without substituting. Because it forces the defense to have to play catch-up. If you have to substitute to then get what you want, the defense can substitute, too, to create the matchups that they want. But what makes San Francisco so hard, like this whole notion that McCaffrey is great and he's, you know, he's the – McCaffrey is a luxury item for the 49ers. He's tremendous. He's a great player. But because of their running backs and – and, and the fullback's ability to move around and do all those things, they substitute without substituting. That's the key. And so Pollard uh, allows you to do that. Camaro allows you to do that. Jacobs allows you to do that. Aaron Jones allows you to do that. So you pay those guys.
0: Yeah, I think that's really a great point of being able to change formations and do different things without taking guys off of the field. It's not formations, Femi. It's it's personnel groups.
1: See, formations don't matter anymore in football. Here's what doesn't matter anymore in football. Downs and formations. Mm -hmm. They don't matter. The only thing that matters is personnel groups. Who's on the field? So if I'm a linebacker and I could substitute you off the field – so if I'm a linebacker and you yep. can't play against eleven, or you can't play against thirteen, or you can't play against, your value goes way down. It's about formation. Yeah. So this whole notion, well, he's a good third down player. What is that? That doesn't mean anything. Every down's third down.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, being multiple essentially is what we're trying to get at here, is being being multiple on the field and being able to be versatile so that they can't just take you off whenever it's a passing situation or running situation because, like you said, every down is now third down in the National Football League. The, the tag number being 10.1 million, you don't think that that should deter teams for running backs at that number there no. being 10.1? Okay,
1: If he's a weapon, if he's a weapon, I mean, he can impact the game. I mean, if you have a running back that can win on third down – and and run option routes or run the ball on third down. Ten million. I mean, that's those, those are the downs, and then score in the red zone. You got to pay mm-hmm. that guy. And this guys- whole analytical nonsense. Well, I mean, you know, look. I mean, with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, they paid Chubb. They're not going to pay. I mean, Hunt is a valuable guy in the marketplace because he's a he could be the perfect blend to this, right? So, say you mm-hmm. sign Kareem Hunt. And and you've and you're Atlanta and you got Kareem Hunt and Patterson. Now you got something. But Atlanta had two young running backs, so really good. So you know they had the Huntley kid that they drafted. So they don't need a back. But my point here is when you could do that, and then the back can extend from the formation like a receiver and win in the slot against a corner on an option route or an angle route or or any kind of or or a, or a uh, you know a a, a, a crossing route. Now you got something. Now you play base, you play nickel.
0: What are we doing here? Yeah, I totally agree there with the running back position. I would like to see Pollard back in Dallas. I'm sure Raiders fans would like to see Josh Jacobs, and Giants fans would like to welcome back Saquon Barkley. How about at quarterback, though? Because we talked about Lamar Jackson. We talked about Daniel Jones. We haven't talked about Geno Smith up in Seattle. That quarterback tag number, $32.4 million. Geno Smith, a free agent uh, this offseason. I would guess that they tag him to give themselves a little bit longer time to negotiate a long-term contract. Is that your read on it, Michael?
1: I think, I mean, I think they're going to basically say, look, we're going to tag the guy. And if we don't get a tag, we're going to, we're going to, I mean, we're we want to do a contract. And at the end, if we can't get a deal done, we'll tag him. I mean, here's the deal. What you got to do in these conversations are, look, we're either going to do a deal, but if we tag you, it's a one-year deal. There's got to be, mm. every negotiation has to have a deadline in it. I mean, you know, when you go to Japan and negotiate with the Japanese, they don't really start negotiating with you until 5 hours before you you have to go to the airport to get your flight. They want to put a they want to put a sense of urgency into it, right? You know, yeah. they show you around, they show you to the tropical gardens, you go eat sushi, do all that stuff, right? Now with 5 hours to go, we're going to sit down here. Well, I got to catch a flight. Well, we got to get this done. It's the same thing in negotiation, right? I I, I got to look if we get if we tag you it's one year just so you know that we're not negotiating past this mm. we'll, we'll live because we're going to live with it on our cap either you help us with our cap before we get there or you're going to be on the cap for one year that's up to you you got to decide if you don't put a deadline if you just let this thing linger you know it's the old saying I don't need more time I need a deadline you need mm-hmm. a deadline in negotiations
0: that That's that's an interesting way to go about it there from an organizational standpoint, because I think we saw the Dallas Cowboys, especially with Dak Prescott, when they had him on the tag, and they would still have negotiations afterwards, and then they would eventually come to a long-term agreement after franchise That wasn't a negotiation. Not- that was a surrender. That was a surrender. That wasn't a nego- – there's surrenders,
1: and then there's negotiations, right? That's a surrender, yeah. you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> even my man Jerry surrendered to uh, the Dax camp
1: <laughs> of course he did I mean he gave him all that money now they're all saying he's not worth it well he wasn't worth it but the, the famous line well we what was our choices if we didn't pay it what we're we going to do okay well that's the part of being a great organization is figure out a solution to it it's what Ziegler was saying in the last block we're, gonna, we're not going to be held hostage here you know it would be easy to bring Carr back and say okay we know he's not good enough but at least he helps us win. It's the same thing what they're saying in. Uh, it's the same thing they're saying in Green Bay. Look, we won eight or nine games with him. You know, we're, we can win eight or nine games with love. Let's just go on with love. I mean, look, Gino Smith. They got rid of Russell Wilson. They won more games with Gino than they did with the with the. They made the playoffs with Gino. Well, Russell – You know, at some point in negotiations, you got to say no, and you got to be willing to move on. And you can't Who let would- the press affect you in the negotiation
0: who would you be more comfortable paying Daniel Jones or Gino Smith Gino yeah same I don't even think it's a conversation I think it's Gino Smith uh, the reigning comeback player of the year Orlando Brown though is an interesting one for the Kansas City Chiefs at offensive tackle he played on the tag this past year if they tag him again It'll be 19.9 million dollars, so almost 20 million dollars. Do you think that they let Orlando Brown head into free agency as an unrestricted free agent? I mean, I think he reps himself
1: too. I, I don't, you know. I mean, I can't imagine somebody's going to give him an average of 20 million a year when you watch him. You know, I think he needs to be. You know, he played well in the Super Bowl. I give him that, right? I think there's no mm-hmm. doubt about that. But I, I think it's, you know, but they had a hard time getting a contract done with him. And there's only so many players you can pay that level. you know. Now they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with Frank Clark. He's making way too much money for them. I think Frank Clark's on their cap. He's due to make $20 million this year in base salary. So they're not going to pay that, right? So, But I think you're going to have to figure something out. Look, to me, how do you pay Orlando Brown more than you pay Kelsey? doesn't make a lot of sense. No. It doesn't make sense <laughs> doesn't, to me at all. It doesn't,
0: doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: I mean, look, and, you know, you got Chris Jones is, you know, he's, he's making a, a good boatload of money, but I think Orlando Brown, you got to be now. What's your option? You still have it. You can draft a guy, you know, would you rather draft a guy or would you rather pay him?
0: I think I of mean, that you number, can't have
1: it both ways. Not everybody can yeah. eat here at the diner.
0: It's not Denny's. We can't, we can't no, it's not there. We're not,
1: we're not, we're <laughs> not, we're back. At, we're not there. We're
0: not there yet. Uh, uh, The fact that they tagged him last year and didn't want to give him the long-term extension, I feel like that was them saying, all right, like we we want you to come back, but not at these kind of numbers. And I think if you're Kansas City, you probably already mentally prepared yourself to move on this offseason from Orlando Brown. Now, in his defense, four sacks allowed on 1,100 snaps, fourth consecutive Pro Bowl, whatever you put into that he he at least was a solid player for them but at these uh, numbers i think i think you got to let him walk
1: yeah i mean look i think what you see the deal is when you compare him to other guys you know he certainly but i mean he could probably he thinks he's going to get 22 23 million dollars a mm-hmm. year and so you, this isn't about do we want to pay him that this is about can we pay other players if we pay him you got 22 million at left tackle you got 15 million at left guard you know, you got the center and the right guard are on rookie contracts and you got Wiley. You got a lot of money in the line.
0: Well, it certainly paid off in the Super Bowl when they held that uh, Eagles fearsome pass rush to zero sacks, helping them win the game in a second title. Yeah in four years. All right. That does it for this week's edition on the podcast. Next week, it'll be combine week. Michael, we've teased that we'll have a lot of information coming out of the combine. So I'm looking forward to that. Maybe my guy, Anthony Richardson lights Lucas oil on fire with a good workout and we get this thing on a rocket ship and we're heading towards the moon. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I can't wait to talk all about it with the tag. We'll have more Will news from these power brokers. All Are being. you
1: back Monday? Are you back Monday for our pod yeah. on Monday? Are you back? Yeah. Yeah, right, good. I'll be I'll be back in Vegas on Monday.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll be back there. Right, so good. we'll be we'll be all settled. I'll see you Monday. I, I head back s- saturday, saturday night. I, I head back to Las Vegas. So uh, we'll be back I'm later on Monday you better, morning. But you better get that
1: net. You better get that Sopranos Netflix going. I'm just telling you right now.
0: <laughs> the, the, the HBO Max is locked and loaded. <laughs> we will be binging it over the weekend. So Sunday, that's my only task is to watch Sopranos episodes. From sunup to sundown. We'll see how many I make it through there. But thank you once again to our producer, Elliot Bowman. The gator with the heater on the ones and twos, whatever you want to call him, He's the very best at it. And also thank you to DraftKings and to V's. And thank you to you, Michael. And I'll talk to you Monday morning. Thank you, family. Thank you, Elliot. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived.